0: Good evening. I'm Dr. Wayne Dyer, and welcome to Twas to the Night Before Christmas. I've been asked by the elders of Calvary Evangelical Free Church in Essex Fells, New Jersey, to share a Christmas Eve devotional. If you would like more information about Calvary Evangelical Free Church, you can go to their website at welcome2calvary.com. Thank you for joining us for this devotional, and may you have a very joy filled Christmas. Twas to the Night Before Christmas. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care and hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. I'm sure most of us are familiar with the famous poem by Clement Moore. While it's true we do not know the exact date of Christ's birth, we take one day each year to celebrate the fact that he was born, a birth which divides all of history. It was the night before Christmas, and all through the heavenlies, all the prophecies regarding the birth of the eternal Son were complete. The plan of God established before the foundation of the world was about to unfold on earth. The fullness of time had come. A child would be born and a savior would be given. What was happening the night before Christmas in heaven as Jesus was about to be born on earth? What a night, Christmas Eve and the spiritual heavenlies. Those gathered around the throne were waiting for the time that we call the fullness of time. Worship was going on in heaven. According to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, when God brought forth his firstborn son, he said, let all the angels worship him. What was the conversation in heaven the night before Christmas? The night before Christ was born? We find those words over in Hebrews chapter 10. As Christ was coming into the world, he made a declaration as the eternal Son was about to step out of the glories of heaven and enter this world through a virgin's womb. In Hebrews 10, verse 5 to 7, we read the story according to Jesus Christ, and he's quoting here from the Old Testament, Psalm 40. Jesus said, Therefore, as he was coming into the world, you did not want sacrifice and offerings, But you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll, I have come to do your will, God. What does the Lord emphasize in these verses? First, he emphasizes that he did not begin at Bethlehem. These verses tell us that our Lord's existence did not begin in Bethlehem, and underscores the fact with the words, As he was coming into the world they speak to us of his pre-existence in heaven did you ever consider that jesus would exist even if he was never born think about that jesus didn't need to be born in order to exist christmas marks the human birth of our lord jesus but it does not mark the beginning of his existence as the son of god he existed with the father eternally before he was born and John chapter 1, that makes it very clear. John begins his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was deity, speaking of Jesus. Jesus always was, Jesus is, and Jesus always will be. He didn't need to be born in order to exist. But here's one thing. You and I would know him as Jesus. Before his birth, the angel came to Joseph and said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is his Christmas name. The first advent, he came as Jesus, the Savior. When he returns in the second advent, he will come as Christ, the King. The Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 14, assures us that the Word became flesh. The Word who was God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Our Lord did not begin at Bethlehem. The second person of the Trinity had no beginning. And that is why Jesus declared himself over in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am, using that great eternal name of God, I am, Describing his existence forever. Throughout the Old Testament, we're giving signs or markers about the Messiah who was to come. These markers or prophecies all refer to an individual, single person. The Old Testament was basically saying, Here's how you will know the Messiah when he comes. Think about the sign that was given to the shepherds This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. A baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lied in the manger. Those were the signs given to the shepherds. There are literally hundreds of prophecies about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. One scholar gives us a list of 456 prophecies. These prophecies included where he would be born, Bethlehem, how he would be born, virgin birth, that there would be a tragedy associated with his birth. That's Harry's murder of all the males under two years of age, how he would live, how he would die, and how he'd be raised back to life. Many of these are mysteries, but they all remind us of one important fact, that Christmas marks the human birth of Jesus. It does not mark the beginning of his existence. He came as the eternal son. The second point that Jesus makes here the night before Christmas in heaven says he came to take away our sins. Verse 5 tells us you did not want sacrifice and offerings. That would have come as a shock to the Jewish priest who for centuries had offered bulls and goats as God had prescribed in the Old Testament. They did that because they sincerely believed. That is what God wanted from them. And they were not wrong. They did what they were supposed to do, but they did not understand the truth. Revealed to us over in Hebrews 10, verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. If you drop down to verse 11 in that chapter, you'll read every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. Priests in the Old Testament spent their days in the routine of sacrifice, offerings, one after another, morning, noon, night, day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. But none of these could take away sins. That's entirely right. You see, Jesus came to do what the animal sacrifices could never do. He came to deal with our sins once and for all. Old Testament sacrifices pointed toward the coming of Christ and his sacrificial death. The Old Testament looked forward to the cross. Well, as we look back to the cross, and we can see over here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, you prepared a body for me, Jesus said on that night before Christmas. On one level, that means that Jesus' birth was no afterthought of God's plan but a fulfillment of all that was promised in the Old Testament, in fact, before the foundation of the world. At a deeper level, it means a body was prepared for him so he could offer himself up, a once-for-all sacrifice for sin when he died on the cross. Just as the Lamb was prepared for sacrifice, Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away our sins. Is it any surprise, then, that the Lamb of God was born in the stable? He came as the eternal Son. He came to take away our sins. And thirdly, he came to do God's will. Here we read on the night before Christmas, Jesus saying to the Father, I've come to do your will. Christ came into the world knowing his purpose from the beginning. Perfect and complete obedience, even unto death, death on the cross. That cannot be said of any other baby. When we pray for our grandson Timothy, We ask God to keep him safe, healthy, to protect him from the evil one. We pray that he will grow up to love and serve the Lord. But we don't know what God has called him to do. We pray for him based on the promises of God, leaving the details in the Father's hand. But Christ knew exactly his destiny. From the very beginning, he came to do the Father's will. Parents often have plans for their children. These hopes, while understandable, are nothing more than that, hopes of a parent who dreams good things for their children. Those dreams don't always come true. Children often go their own way. But Christ was not like that. He came for a purpose. It's not as if the father had to say to him, Son, now I want you to go down there. I want you to be born of a virgin, to be laid in a feeding trough, forgotten by the world, have Herod attempt to kill you, flee with your parents to Egypt, grow up in Nazareth in a carpenter's shop, be rejected by your own people, be hated, reviled, scourged, and then crucified. No, the son knew all of that before he was born, and he came anyway. If you remember, around age 12, Jesus was found in the temple, and when his parents found him there, he said, I must be about my father's business. He came to do God's will, knowing it would mean his own excruciating death on the cross, and yet he came. Christ came with a definite purpose to do God's will. He fulfilled that when in Calvary love he died on Calvary, bearing the sins of the world. That's the ultimate meaning of the proclamation we find over in Luke 2. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ came to die. Nothing else. Could explain his birth. He perfectly fulfilled God's will when no one else could do it. He died as a man, and yet as God he bore the sin of the world. No one else could have done what Jesus did. No one else was qualified. No one else was willing. No one else was available. I'd like to tell the story about Tsar Nicholas I of Russia. It seems that the Tsar had a good friend, who asked him to provide a job for his son. This the Tsar did, appointing the son as a paymaster in the barracks in the Russian army. However, it turned out that the son was morally weak and soon gambled away nearly all the money entrusted to him. When word came that the auditors were going to examine the records, the young man was in despair, knowing that he would be found out. He calculated the amount he owed, and totaled it, and it came to a huge debt, far greater than he could ever repay. He determined that the night before the auditors arrived, he would take a gun and commit suicide at midnight. Before going to bed, he wrote out a full confession, listing all he had stolen, and underneath that writing he wrote these words, A great debt. Who can pay? Weary from his work... He fell asleep. Later that night, the Tsar himself paid a surprise visit to the barracks. As was his occasion on a custom, seeing a light on, he peered into the room and found the young man asleep. With the letter of confession next to him, he read the letter and instantly understood what had happened. He paused for a moment, considering what punishment to impose. He then bent over, wrote one word on the paper, and left the young man asleep. Eventually the young man woke up, realizing he had slept past midnight. Taking his gun, he prepared to kill himself, when he noticed something on the paper, something on the ledger, under the words that he had written, a great debt, who can pay. He saw one word. Nicholas. He was dumbfounded. He was terrified when he realized the Tsar knew what he had done. Checking the records, he found the signature was genuine. Finally, the thought settled in his mind. The Tsar knew the whole story and was willing to pay the debt himself. Resting on the words of his commander-in-chief, the young man fell asleep. In the morning, a messenger came for the palace with the exact amount the young man owed. Only the Tsar could pay, and the Tsar did pay. Only Jesus could pay our debt to God. That and that alone explains why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why he pitched his tent with us for 33 years that he might pay with his own blood the debt we owed because of our sin. We stand today precisely where that young man did. A great debt. Who can pay? And then we hear the words of Christ saying, I can. I'll pay it for you. Only Jesus could pay, and he does. Just as a Lamb was prepared for the sacrifice, Jesus comes as the Lamb to take away our sins. Christ was born to die. Nothing else explains his birth. And as a man he died, as God he bore our sins. No one else could have done what Jesus did. That's why he came, and that's the real meaning of Christmas. When Christmas arrives, families will gather to open their gifts. But God has a Christmas gift for you. Wrapped not in bright paper with a fancy ribbon. It's the gift of his son. It's the gift for you. But you need to receive it personally. Have you ever repented at giving him your life? No decision is more important. No one else can make that decision for you. Now here we are the night before Christmas, 2023, Christ came into the world nearly 2,000 years ago. He came to do God's will. He came to take away our sins. And the question remains, have you ever received Christ as your Savior and Lord? The Bible tells us over in John chapter 1, verse 12, He gave the right to become God's children to everyone who believes in Him. The Holy Spirit invites you by faith and repentance to become a new creation in Christ. He was born once, that we might be born twice. Born once naturally, born the second time by the Spirit. I close with the words of the Old Testament Book of Ruth. Blessed be the Lord, who has not left us this day without a Redeemer. May you have a most meaningful Christmas.